So let's just take a look at this first verse. We're going to start with Acts 15 again, using this as a kind of beginning point. Um, it's about A.D. 50 when we come to this 36th verse. That's a long time ago. Paul says to Barnabas, you can see here, he says to Barnabas, that's his ministry associate. That's his partner and friend in ministry. So Barnabas, some of us may not know this. Barnabas was the one who, if you read earlier in the book of Acts, when everybody was against Paul, he was the one that befriended him. He was a leader in the early church, the church that emerges after Jesus' resurrection in Jerusalem. Remember, the fiercest opponent they had at the time, the early church, the most intense opponent of the way of Jesus was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul. Saul opposed Jesus, hated Jesus, hated anybody who followed him, saw them as a threat, wanted to eradicate them, minimally have them dispersed. He says that he had a streak of violence in him. And when that showed up, it, he went after the church in Jerusalem, scattered the people who were followers of Jesus. They were known as followers of the way at the time. And everybody was afraid of him. And then, of course, you, you read, if you read the book of Acts, you read that he has this moment where he's on the road to Damascus to do some damage to this community of believers in a way that he thinks is false and a threat to his people. And he's confronted by what he calls clearly Jesus. He sees a vision, but it's so real. He calls it a real exchange, no question in his mind. And in that conversation, Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard to fight against me, kick against the pricks, right? He talks about that. There's a Paul's smitten blind. He, his entire world is shaken. He's, he reorders. He turns from a, a disbeliever to an immediate believer in Jesus and becomes probably the most ferocious proponent of the way of Christ this world has ever known. Certainly the most influential follower of Jesus in the history of our world is the Apostle Paul. No question about it. But at the time, remember, he, people, people didn't believe in him. They thought, the, the, the early Christians thought that he was actually trying to create a scheme, that he was feigning conversion, and that actually he was just trying to get into their network. And so many of them didn't want anything to do with him. They said, that's the same guy who kill, who's killed people we love and who's, who's damaged our families. He's, he's playing a trick on us. No one believed him. But one of the men who stood up and believed in him was a man named Barnabas, who was an early leader of the church. And Barnabas put his arm around him and said, basically, how we would say it, I'll be your sponsor because I believe in what God has done in your life. And he, bar he started bringing him in and introducing Paul. And Paul, Paul begins to become recognized as a force, this former Pharisee of, of a stunning intellect and organi organizational capacity, um, begins to turn these collective forces of his personality towards the way of Jesus. And so he's the one, along with Barnabas, that felt moved initially to try to take the message of Christ into places where it had never gone. He had a particular burden for the non-Jewish people, he himself being Jewish. At the same time, he wanted to see the non-Jewish population as well as his own people be, be given the message of Jesus as the risen Savior, the promised Messiah. And so he and Barnabas have this conviction that they're supposed to take the message of Christ and take it into what had previously been 
a territory, an area of the world that had never heard it. Up to this point, the message of Christ had only been very much located in a very small area. In fact, I'm going to put up a, we're going to have them put up a map. This is, this is to help everybody get a context. This is very important. To see that the Bible is not talking about places that are made up and stuff. It's real places that happen. There's a historical record behind it. You see where Israel is? You see where Jerusalem is? That's Israel. If you were to go, if I were to juxtaposition or place over this a map of the real world today, you, that's the Mediterranean Sea. See where Jerusalem is? That's, that, there's a little area along the coast of the Mediterranean that's called Israel. You go up from Israel, you have what is known as Lebanon, Beirut, that whole area. You go up a little further, you have a part of Syria. And then if you were to go to see that big land mass up on the top, that's today modern-day Turkey. If you see, and there's this little body of water there that separates that big land mass from the other one, and that is, that is the Aegean Sea. And that other area is Greece. So that big swath of land is Turkey. That's called Asia Minor in the scriptures. It's where the early church were, the churches were planted. And then at some point you will see that the, how this becomes the gateway to Europe. And the message of Christ goes in every direction. And astonishingly, even to them, it had taken root in ways they could not have conceived. They thought that as they preached the message of Jesus, initially, the first, see the part that says Pamphylia? That's, again, part of modern-day Turkey. That's where they kind of stopped the first time around. They planted the churches there. They had, they had suffered stiff resistance, but there had kind of been a, a surprising receptivity to the message of Christ, especially among those uh, who were non-Jewish. And, and they, for the first time, the, the church started seeing, you know, really significant uh, coming together of Jewish and Gentile people in a common sharing of, of openness to the Lord. And this was a big deal. It hadn't happened before. You also, you notice something else? You see this city up there called Antioch of Syria? That is, the Bible tells us, that becomes the base of the early Christian church. In fact, it's the first time in Antioch of Syria that people were ever referred to as Christians in Antioch of Syria. And that base is where these, this, the first missionary team was shot out from. Okay? So now what has happened... Time has passed. Paul and Barnabas are hearing about this remarkable growth that's occurring and, and the fact that there's actually a lot of people who are, are beginning to follow Jesus and these little churches that they planted are starting to grow. That community is expanding and they go, you know, we probably, Paul says, he gets a spark, right? Something comes in him. I, I think I need to go back. And then his, he takes a step. He says, you know what? We need, to we need to form a team and return to these churches up there. And his first step is then, to think that and to step into it. And he says, Barnabas, what do you think about us going back to the churches that we planted and encouraging them, seeing how they're doing with our own eyes, watching and talking with them? How does that sound like to you? Barnabas probably would have said something like, well, remember it was pretty tough when we went that last time. You almost died more than a few times there. But yeah, I'll, I'm in. And then Barnabas makes a suggestion that ends up creating a fissure that almost destroys their relationship. Watch what follows. Verse 36 here, it says, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, again, his ministry associate, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord. Let's see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed. That sounds, uh, yes. He says, and then Barnabas says something else. It says that, he wanted to take along, and now we're given this name, John Mark. 
Now, we're told that Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them the last time they went in that area we talked about, Pamphylia, and had not continued with them in their work. The conversation, it, it, star- <laughs> it started, the conflict started, as most conflict does, so innocently. Paul says, I think we should go. I think the Lord wants us to go. Barnabas says, you know what? I think you're right. I'll go with you. Somehow it comes up, well, who are we going to bring with us? Barnabas says, I think we should bring John Mark. Paul says, are you serious? (laughs) Are you serious? You're joking, right? John Mark. The same John Mark that when the heat was on, went home. That young man, you're talking to that John Mark? Barnabas, yeah, I, 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 th- I think he's grown. I think he learned from that experience. Are you, the guy quit on us when we needed him most. Brother, this is about commitment. I appreciate the fact that you have compassion. You're a compassionate man. In fact, I think that's one of your great virtues is your compassion. But we need commitment. I cannot, look at my face. You know what happened in Lystra. You see these scars? I almost died. In fact, they, I may have been dead. I don't even remember. They, that riot came on me. You remember what happened? They stoned me. They left me with rubble and rock, and I was a bloody mess. I was dragged out of the city. They put me outside the city thinking I was dead. You remember what happened? Everybody was around me. You, one, of the men, one of the people that was there was a young man named Timothy, but that's a whole other story. Paul says, John Mark, now we are not told why John Mark quit, but in the middle he had gone home. We're not told why, but in Paul's mind, it was a desertion. When they needed him to hold, he had gone home. That's all Paul needed to know. And you know what it does reveal? It reveals one, that he's hurt. He's still angry, he's hurt about the, the lack of commitment but he's also, it also reveals how different he was from Barnabas, right? These are two very different kinds of, of ministry leaders. Barnabas, I think, could say, Paul, but just, you know, I mean, I, I believed in you when no one else believed in you, right? Paul's saying, hey, bro, I appreciate that. I really do. <laughs> I really do. And I know you meant it. And you know what? You're a good man. No one more loving than you. But I'm telling you right now, this is serious business. I cannot afford to have someone who's already demonstrated a tendency to quit when it's hard. I cannot risk that. This, is, this means too much to me. We'll find somebody else, not him. My brother, no, no. John deserves a chance to be given an, another chance. No, I cannot take the chance to give him another chance. And it says the contention became so strong among them that they said, then we'll go our separate ways. Look what it says. It says, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take John Mark. Paul disagreed strongly. It says, John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And look what it says. Their disagreement, 39, verse 39. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Oh, my. <laughs> what? This is incredible. I mean, this is a spirit-directed endeavor. This These are two of the two great leaders, two wonderful men who not only love each other, they love God. They both love Jesus. 
They both cared about lost people a lot, enough to put their lives on the line multiple times. Both of them did. They both cared about each other. No one could deny it. They were friends. They were brothers. They had, done, they had been in the trenches together. And they both were filled with his spirit. So what happened? How does this happen? I, I, you look at it, you almost, you almost, it's almost stunning, right? It's almost stunning. It says Barnabas, he, he, he takes, look at verse, it says Barnabas takes John Mark with him and sails for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Go back to that map one more time if you guys can. Uh, I wanted you to see where Cyprus is. So what Barnabas says, fine, fine, I will take him with me. And he heads off to a territory that's familiar with him. See, that, see the island there, Cyprus? You can see where it is right off the coast. That's where Barnabas heads with, with John Mark. I'll take John then. Paul says, fine, I'll take Sylvanus. We'll go out, uh, Sylvanus, Silas, we'll go and we'll, we'll head up where we were planning on going. Now, Barnabas and John Mark head to Cyprus and almost off the pages of Scripture. There's a mention later on, ironically, by Paul saying, you know what? Bring John Mark. So later on, Paul gains a love for John Mark. Barnabas and him are, will still be friends as the years go by, but they're never going to be working that closely together again. Paul then heads a little bit up, and then he heads west. And what he is about to do is embark on one of the great movements in the history of the world, for it will literally change the world. His experiences there that we're going to examine and look through and look at, both learn from and then learn about our own faith with God and how to discern his will for our lives and how to know the difference between when God is opening a door and when that door is shutting. How do we know these things? We're going to learn a lot. We're going to wrestle with these truths. But the main thing I wanted us to see here is notice the conflict. One of the, I, as I looked at this, I go, from the very outset... There is conflict. Like the first thing that has to be managed in his spirit-inspired endeavor is relational conflict. And, and when you have relational conflict, it usually involves internal conflict. Have you ever you noticed that? Well, maybe that's some of us may have been have relational conflict right now. Maybe at work, maybe in our homes, maybe with our friend. Maybe at church at times. When you have, when we, it could be someone we care deeply about, but we're, there's dis, disagreement. When, you have, when we have relational conflict, it usually shows up in internal conflict. We're not at peace. We're not good. It's hard. And I'm looking at these guys and I'm watching because I look at this and I say, wow, you know, I, I, I go, you cannot miss it. I'm, a, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay. Lord, you are in this. And yet, at the same time, they don't even get, they, the very thing begins with conflict. And so, one of the, here's what I'm trying to get at. One of the keys for sustaining long-term sustainment in our faith is going to be connected to learning how to get past conflict and to accept it and not be defeated by it. I'll put this up. One of the keys to sustainment then is to refuse to be defeated by conflict. Look at this. Contend for peace, but accept, listen, but accept that some conflict is inevitable. 
If it could happen with these men at the beginning of one of the most amazing movements of God, and the Lord's clearly in the middle of it, and yet because they're human beings with different temperaments and dispositions and different ways of seeing things, and, 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 and by the way, who's right? Who's right? Some people say, oh, Paul was right. Others say, no, Barnabas was right. Paul, Paul will say, yeah, it's about the mission. Barnabas will say, that's true, but it's also about the person. Who, where do we fall? Who's right? I could tell you where I would be, where I fall, but I won't do that because I'd be giving away my perspective on this. <laughs> but every one of us tends to relate with one of the two, Barnabas and Paul. Like, who was right? Who was wrong? I'm not sure either of them were wrong or either of them were completely right. I don't know. What I know is they had such a conflict that these wonderful friends couldn't move together. And so they ended up, they end up, and I, I see this, I go, oh, you know, that philosophical fissure, the divide, um, maybe we, part of us goes, they should have been able to figure it out. What I love about the Bible is the Bible, you think about it, one of the things we notice is, like, oh, if, I was, if I was writing this, the Bible's showing the flaws and all from the very beginning. It's not like trying to pretend, oh, this was perfectly, they just loved each other in every way, they just saw everything completely together. No, the Bible, one of the things, it doesn't try to hide flaws. It's not, it's not trying to pretend, it's not writing a fairy tale or just a nice tidy little thing that everybody is super holy. It shows us that there are real people with real feelings, real differences and real different temperaments. And you know what, I love that about the Bible. I love the fact, this isn't, the Bible is not Instagram. <laughs> it's not trying to curate only the best world. I will show you this part. Bible shows everything that it can. The strengths, the weaknesses, the flaws, the sins of even its greatest people that are human beings like you and me. But also it shows people growing and becoming, right? It's real, it's honest, it's authentic, it's raw. It still speaks so loud. The Lord is there. I look at this and I go, wow, they... In later on, they still pursued peace with one another. All indications are that they remained friends and brothers after they got past this. But one of the things they were forced to do because of it was to form separate teams. And some people have said, in a way, God actually used it for good. Remember I talked about how Barnabas heads up to, with John Mark to Cyprus. Paul chooses Silas and heads north and then west. Look what it says. Uh, Barnabas took John Mark with him, sailed to Cyprus. Verse 40 in your handout there. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. And then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. By the way, can we see this? There is another principle for sustainment. Because the Bible, when it comes to conflict, we are to seek to be at peace. There is no question the Bible places a premium on peace. I mean, just hold it right there for a second. That we, blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, if as much as lies within us to be at peace with all people, the scripture teaches us. But there are also times where we cannot avoid that conflict. There are, there are times, we, I cannot control another person, another person cannot control me. Like if we, if we, there are things we could do almost, you could do everything right and it's still gonna be a conflict. So well, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm only, I'm only, no, no, it's real, it's real. But one of the things, but again, I, I still see something good coming out of this. Again, they didn't, they didn't, 
walk away cursing one another. It was none of that. It was just like, you know what, we have to agree to disagree on this, agreeably. And maybe the Lord will bless it both ways. And then what follows is something of a principle for me. They both form teams. And so here's something I want to submit. When it comes to long-term faith sustainment, hear me out, find your team. Never, ever go alone. Now, some of us, we may not even be a follower of Jesus yet. So the first thing I would say is, Join Team Jesus. That's the first thing I would say, right? Number one, join Team Jesus. He's ready if you're ready. He paid it all, did it all. Open the door. You're so close. Come. That's why we have baptism. That's why we have people giving, giving their lives to Jesus to follow him. So we're taught, join Team Jesus. But even that, not just that, join your faith community, right? Find your church, home. Now, I'm biased. I want you to be here. Right? No question. I'm being honest. And I think this would be a wonderful place for you to grow and contribute and be a part of and engage in a community. But the fact of the matter is everybody needs a local team. Everybody needs a local place where you are known. You need your community. You need your people within the larger section of the people of the Lord. Okay? We all do. We have this thing in our church called The Journey. Which fact has been going on right now. There's a, there's a group of people that are going through it. If the next one you can see on the back of your hand out there, it's in November. It's limited. You can, there's only so many people who can get into their per session. Um, this one's filling up. But in November, we've got one coming up. And if you're at a point in your life where you want to seriously grow as a follower, you want to get engaged in a community, you want to get engaged into our community, you want to learn about that, you want to make that journey, this is, what, this is how you do it. And uh, it's something you just, again, sign up for and be a, become a part of something. But not only just finding your church home as a team, finding your group, that's another thing. We talk about this all the time. You know, when Jesus was training his disciples, his apprentices, the way he did, did it is he set up community in a small group context. It wasn't someone didn't invent, He had this idea that based on human nature, that we are best, we are best, we also need to have small group expressions where we have the opportunity to know one another, even sometimes best of all people who are not exactly like us. We learn to love and, and work through things. Sometimes, yes, in awkward ways. Sometimes in hugely meaningful ways. Jesus set it up that way. We weren't supposed to be alone. Find, join Team Jesus. Find your church. Find your group. Your, it could be a ministry group. A place where you can be known by name. Where we can Pray for one another. And, 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 and that leads me to the next piece there, which is find your uh, partners in ministry, right? Find your ministry partners. Never do this alone. The Christian life was never meant to be done alone. In fact, you know, you know what I love it partly here? Is even when they split, they don't go, okay, you go your way, I'll go mine. They both say, you know what? We need to reform a team. We're not going alone. You don't go alone. Jesus said, never go alone. He never sent his disciples out alone, ever. Always by, minimally by two. Never alone. Within the, within the framework of ministry groups and, and within the framework of small groups, one of the values of being able to be engaged in community life, which I'm totally advocating as a key to sustainable faith because we will not always be on our game. The Bible says, pray for one another that you may be healed. The Bible says, help carry one another's burdens. How does that happen? It happens in community. Community requires intentionality on our part. Like it doesn't just happen. We have to choose to do it. 
And I would, I'm really advocating, I'm a big advocate. I'm not only advocating something from afar, I am do, I do the, I've been doing these things for years because it's a very biblical thing to do. Jesus set it up this way. That's how we grow, that's how we sustain. I'm not always on my game. Well, none of us are always on our game in the Lord. There are times where our faith is weak, where we're under fire, where we're really hurting, where we're depressed. In those places, we better not be alone. The value of community shows mostly up when we need it most. But what happens is when we don't invest in it when we're doing well, when we really need it, we don't have it. And the Bible makes it really clear this is a huge part of our sustainable faith. That's one of the ways faith strengthens itself, stays, holds, endures, sustains. Last thing I'll see is, say around that is it, Jesus made it clear that the Christian life is to be communal and interdependent, something we're to get involved in be able to work together in teamship with others, strengthening one another. And the last thing we'll, we'll connect to here is this. Be a receiver and a giver of blessing. That's a principle of sustainability. What am I talking about? Look at that last, uh, look at that last verse. This says, the believers entrusted them to the Lord's gracious care. So the church commended blessing and grace upon Paul. You and I are to be a receiver of blessing it means that we're going to need community. I call that a communal grace. Again, faith sustainment is closely intertwined to church life. And church life requires presence and intentional investment. There is something about being here. Listen. Well done. Being in the Lord's house. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Jesus, it says, went to the synagogue as was his custom. He modeled consistent coming to the Lord's house. If the Lord of glory models that, we who follow in his steps must follow as well. Listen, we live in a, in a cultural age of dispersonalization where so much of the amazing advancements of our technology has actually created a, 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 a relational degeneration when it comes to actually engaging real people. <laughs> Someone said, I said, there's a power in face-to-face. -face. It's power. It's even more powerful, powerful than FaceTime to FaceTime, right? <laughs> face to face, being present, coming with my presence, just like what we're doing here. It's huge. It even means more, I think, now. You know, we started to participate with, with, by helping to create a live stream. Part, we were part of our church, you know, trying to start a live stream service. We, we wanted to start an online service. And so we tried to use the medium of live, live stream that has already been in essentially working now for a number of years. When we started that, it was for the purpose of people who were either moving away and wanted to stay connected to, our, to the church or people who were away on business and couldn't get here. And so they wanted to stay connected with a series and we were, we were so excited about doing that. Or people who maybe are sick and can't, couldn't come, but they wanted to stay connected, you know, or maybe at a certain point health-wise couldn't get there. Oh, we were all excited. But you know what, here's the thing. And, I, and, I, and it took a lot for me to say this last time when I was last service when I was talking directly to all those who were on live stream. 
Live stream is, <laughs> it is not a substitute for face-to-face. -face. It was never meant to be that. There is something about the planting of my intention into community face-to-face, -face, real. It, the effort involved, the engagement involved, the very presence itself. I mean, again, I'm not putting something down as much as I am saying this is the higher expression. It is the right thing. It costs us something and it's an investment. Now, I'm clearly advocating way more than just attending. I am, but I am going to say that that does mean something, especially in this era. Like the whole idea of getting connected to people face to face. And remember, we talked about this relational giving, giving and, and receiving. Hear, hear me out, just quick. It says they blessed, blessed Paul and sent him. And then it says Paul and, his, and Silas, they went and they themselves blessed. They strengthened the churches. Do you, see the, do you see it? Receive the blessing, give the blessing. Give the blessing, receive the blessing. It's the rhythm of the Christian life. Look at this verse in Proverbs. It says this, Whoever brings, look at that, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And, and, and one who waters will himself be watered. The one who refreshes will be refreshed. Look at what it says in Acts 20. It says, Jesus, it quotes Jesus saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You want to know the secret of happiness? I have a suspicion it's right there because blessed means happiness. Happy is the one who understands this. The principle of Christian life is the rhythm of giving and receiving. We give, we receive, we receive, we give. It's about blessing in every dimension. It's what we do, it's how we live. All right, let's pray. Lord, I wanna ask again for this word to just settle into our hearts as you choose to send it, let it go. Uh, maybe some of us connect with the idea of conflict. That could be very real, it could be very hard, Lord. Maybe some of us in it right now and we do need your peace and wisdom, we do. Help us to understand it, not fight it. Do our best to solve things, but be able to move on as well. Also pray for some of us who you're calling into a higher level of commitment into community. It's for our well-being and for our growth. Our sustainable faith is connected to our willingness to connect into community. I ask that you would speak to our hearts about that. And then, of course, teach us how to be a giver and a blesser. So I just pray your blessing, even over these closing minutes that we're about to just share together. Let some of this word settle in. I don't know where we're supposed to hold on to the Titus, but I suspect that something, there was something here you wanted us to hear. And so we, we choose to open our hearts towards it. Stir us, call us, call us together, call us in a community. Ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. God bless.